Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, for the last couple of weeks we've been doing a new series on the hard sayings of Jesus. And we've been um, literally pulling sayings out of a hat and um, looking at them from the different gospel um, and then talking about them and, and seeing why they're hard. You know, they're just things that we... Like, okay, Jesus, we get it, but we don't want to do this. Or are they, you know, actually hard things to really understand what Jesus is trying to say to us? And so we're continuing today with that series, and I'm going to turn things over to Steve so he can pick out our next thing for us. Okay, here you go. You can actually hear the hat. There it is. <laughs> That's the sound of the hat. And our saying is Matthew 5.12, forgive us as we forgive others. Matthew 5.12. Forgive us as we forgive others. If you have those numbers straighter boxed, you're a winner. So, I'm going to guess, as we're finding Actually, ourselves Matthew in 6, Matthew... 12. Oh, there you go, 612. Um, that was my choice, sorry. Wrong <laughs> chapter. We forgive you as you forgive us. <laughs> oh, good. We've done it, now it's hard to talk about it. Um, <laughs> This is a passage that comes from the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Right? It's, yes. it's in the it's in the set in the larger teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, at least. And uh, this is not the only place where forgiveness comes up as a as a topic, right? So mm-hmm. you can give us. Uh, w- would you be willing to give us? You have it in front of you that that sure. particular verse. Um, so that particular verse actually comes from what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, and so we'll just start in Matthew six, starting in verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, right off the bat, there are several different ways we could translate this, correct? Yes. Like, um, I believe in front of us, I have the NRSV. Um, I'm not sure what you I have. I have NIV. NIV. Um, it's translated as debts, but if we remember learning the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school or catechism or just worship, um, you know, off the top of my head, it can be translated sins, it could be translated trespasses. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different ways that this word has been translated into English. And the even the, the word forgive, which we might think is a gimme, uh, oh yeah, it just means to forgive, um... The, the, the literal sense in the Greek is to let go of. This is sort of the gospel according to Elsa. This is about letting go. And the, 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 the thing you do with a debt or a, or a sin or a trespass someone has against you is to let go of it. That's the sense of what forgiving is. Uh, has this ability of I won't weaponize it against mm-hmm. you anymore. Um, uh, and I think we may have had a conversation previously on the podcast about the idea of forgiveness before. And the idea of... Um, uh, I, the, the, the saying that keeps coming back to my mind is uh, to forgive someone is to take what they did to you, to bury it with a shovel, and then bury the shovel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's it's not just uh, I'm I'm pretending I put it away, but every time you mess up, I'm going to come back and rub this in your face again. But that I'm done. I won't keep bringing this up again. I'm letting go. We're starting over again. Um, on its own, it's a lovely ideal, but a challenge. Even harder, maybe, 
uh, added by the fact that Jesus keeps talking about forgiveness. He just won't give up this theme and sometimes sharpens it even further. I'm, I, in the back of my mind, as, as I hear these words from what we call the Lord's Prayer, is that other parable Jesus tells about the unforgiving mm-hmm. servant who gets this huge debt cancel of his own and then finds one of his fellow servants who has his measly debt uh, and won't cancel it. And at the end, the, I think the hardest part is at the end of that parable, um, the master hears about all this and says, you wicked slave, I forgave you your fellow slave because uh, you pleaded with me, but it Shouldn't you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, he handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And then as a kicker, Jesus says, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Man, that's rough. And it sure sounds kind of (laughs) passive-aggressive. Um... So difficult on a lot of fronts because it's hard to forgive and also difficult to figure out is Jesus saying that our forgiveness by God is contingent on how well we forgive others? Is it the, which is the horse and which is the, which is the cart? Is it God forgives and therefore we're supposed to forgive? Because sometimes we read the, the language of the uh, Lord's Prayer and we go, we're asking God to forgive us as well as we've forgiven other people, well, what if I've not done a very good job of forgiving other people? That's a di- this, is, this is now a difficult, thorny mess. And that's where it gets real sticky for me, is that contingency aspect that we find here in the Lord's Prayer, at least right. what seems to be there in the Lord's Prayer. Right. Forgiveness, I get. You know, I forget that, you know, it's not always an easy thing to do, um, but I get it. I get mm-hmm. that, you know, and I'm grateful when God forgives me, but it's that whole aspect of, okay, if I refuse to forgive somebody else... Right then when I go and ask God for forgiveness, is he going to forgive me? Right. And if it's really unconditional, if forgiveness is an unforg- is, is a unconditional thing, then if I have also been holding grudges against somebody else, was God's unfor- unconditional forgiveness of me not really unconditional? I mean, like, this is the, the, yeah. the mm-hmm. challenge we get ourselves into if, if we're going to spend time with the actual way that the, the wording of the Lord's Prayer uh, comes across to us. So forgiveness to me always sounds like it's it, it's so easy to say but hard to do. Yes. And if like I've been blessed with a fairly easy life that no one has done any such horrible wrong to me that I actually find it hard to forgive. It's mostly just like petty little grudges and like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you snubbed me at breakfast, so mm-hmm. therefore I'm mad at you. But but God says to forgive, so I will forgive. You know, it's, it's right. things like that. Um, I've never been asked to actually have to forgive somebody who's done something really terrible to me. But um, you all might remember this a bit more, having lived in Pennsylvania at the time, but a few years ago, um, a man walked into an Amish Mm -hmm. schoolhouse and killed a bunch of children. And that's a huge cornerstone of the Amish faith, is to forgive And so the response from the Amish community, because I believe that the shooter then Mm -hmm. turned the gun on himself and killed himself, um, that the Amish community turned out and they um, went to this man's widow and to his children and they just surrounded this family with love and support and forgiveness. And I think that there was a made-for-TV movie about There's a book, this. There's a book based on it. I can't remember the yeah, title off the top I, I of my can't, head. But. I can't either, but it was about one of the mothers, of the mm-hmm. Amish mothers who lost a child or possibly children. I can't remember. And she, again, found this tremendously difficult to do, even though she was seeped in this Amish mm-hmm. faith and community her entire life, um, because it was her children now mm-hmm. that she had to forgive that somebody took their lives. Yeah. And so I, you know, it's it's times like that that the con- contingency of this verse of or mm-hmm. even the entire Lord's prayer 
kind of like, oh yeah, like in my life so far this has been easy, but can you imagine if I was placed in that situation right. and I had to forgive the murderer of my children? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's really hard to do. But then imagine if we can't let go, does that mean God is holding that against us? Like I think that makes right. it even more right. challenging. And right, right. And I think it gets it gets even thornier when we say, okay, if we're pro forgiveness people are we also still pro-justice? And uh, that it's difficult to say, because I don't mean to say that we're necessarily, we need a pound of flesh and that we need to be you know, bloodthirsty people, but when somebody gets stepped on or hurt, there also needs to be a voice that says, it's not okay, you can't do this anymore. You know? mm-hmm. So as we're recording recently in the news, a seven-year-old girl was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting in America. Uh, and there's this outcry about, will the, the people responsible be apprehended and caught and brought to justice, whatever the details of that mm-hmm. circumstance are. And it seems to me like, yeah, you want to be able to say, yeah, this is this is not okay, this this shouldn't be allowed to happen willy-nilly, mm-hmm. that there, need to be, there needs to be accountability. And at the same time, Forgiveness also means that I don't take a personal vendetta out and go, you know, uh, punching and kicking everybody who I think has ever wronged me. And it's difficult to hold those two together, to be in favor of wanting there to be justice done, but also for there to be forgiveness. And how those two hold hold together side by side gets really complicated. Yeah, likewise, there's another story recently that I've heard of a 17-year-old boy um, being given a life sentence for... Um, killing a 98-year-old woman. Mm. And there being a lot of debate about, um, you know, yes, this is justice because he took a life, but at the same time, he's 17 years old, he is being tried as an adult, and he's basically given up his entire future, his entire life, with the death of an elderly woman who was at the very end of her life. Right, right, right. Um, And, you know, there being a lot of... I've been seeing a lot of debate, at least on my Facebook, about what is the justice here? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, where do we draw that line? Yeah. And, I mean, maybe helpfully. Maybe our brains want to make this as big and expansive and complicated as possible. And it doesn't seem like Jesus in his teaching is giving advice to how to run a criminal justice system. So it's, it's worth saying Jesus isn't laying the architecture for how to create civic laws and things like that. But is talking to ordinary Jewish peasants and saying, I mean, people who don't have power either. People who, they're, they're, they're not... They're not being asked their uh, opinion on what new laws or punishments there should be. They're living in a situation where other people wrong them, and they either have the choice of, do I take revenge on somebody else, or do I let go of this and break the cycle of violence against them? And there, I think, that's that's primarily where this is meant to be. There, are, We can certainly talk about ways where, in social uh, situations or public situations, forgiveness has sort of been a way of trying to deal with big situations. But more this seems aimed at individual circumstances of, I've been wrong. So more like the, the, the Amish that you're dealing with, a community yeah. that deals with someone who has wronged you, and do we seek revenge against that person, or do we let go of the, the right to, to uh, seek revenge against somebody? And that makes sense, too, given that earlier in this same passage of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about, um, you know, the, the or later I'll talk about, you know, the, the law gave you the right of tooth for an, oath, an eye for an eye, and, you know, and Jesus' response is, no, break that cycle. You know, you'll be the one to, who won't seek revenge when you could seek revenge. Uh, and I think this, this teaching about forgiveness falls squarely in that idea. This is the way we're going to live in the world. We won't seek revenge even if we think we have a right to seek revenge. That said, there's still this difficult, where does God fit into all this? And is God only going to forgive me if I'm a good forgiver or not? 
I struggle with that aspect, and I, I preached on this a, a while back um, over the summer. And well, I think there 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 might be some there, there's got to be some truth to it because that, that that's how Jesus states it. I mean, um, but I, I think this is just it, for us. It's supposed to be a reminder of how we are supposed to behave. And, These are one and the same, that our forgiveness and God's forgiveness are meant to be all one clause. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, if if I don't, for, if God's forgiveness is um, always guaranteed, mm-hmm. you know, my lack of forgiveness does not keep God from forgiving me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because God has forgiven me much, then I, in turn, need to be willing to forgive others much. Yeah, yeah. I guess is where I was going. My half-formed thoughts here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and similarly, you know, like, um, there's that other story where the the one woman comes to Jesus and uh, starts weeping and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears, and he ends up saying to the Pharisee, who happens to be there at the table, this woman who sins her many has been forgiven much, therefore she has shown, shown much love. That it starts with, she's been forgiven. Forgiveness is the done deal. She responds in a particular way of love. Those are held closely together. Jesus gets it. She's been forgiven, therefore mm-hmm. she acts with great love. But there's a sense of divine forgiveness sort of as the origin of the start for all of this. I, I wonder, and maybe this is the, the challenge we have when we bring God into the conversation, is that we can't help but think about forgiveness from a chronological perspective. Like mm-hmm. the wrong happens and then the forgiveness happens afterwards because that's how every other experience we have is. Mm-hmm. And that works for beings who live in chronological linear time. Um, but it seems to me like one of the fundamental things about believing in the God we meet in the scriptures is that God isn't bound to time in quite the same way. And that if the New Testament can say things like God has dealt with all of human sin at the cross, which the New Testament is fond of saying, that that means my sins are dealt with in whatever the way the cross deals with them before I'm even born. That like in, in in a sense, this is about a God who, before I've even done a thing, has forgiven me already. There, there's this old um, uh, a, a Jewish uh, midrash on the story of creation. Maybe you know this story, where it goes, before God uh, creates the universe, God looks into the future and sees all the things that human beings are going to do to each other, all the ways we're going to break the commandments, all the idolatry, all the hate, all the violence, all this. God sees it in advance, knows we're going to do it, forgives us in advance, and then says, let there be light. Um and again, it's, it's a midrash. It's meant to be sort of a commentary or a, a playful way of imagining the text. But I think there's something that's very much in the spirit of, yeah, that's kind of the God you meet in the scriptures, who it's not like gets fooled and going, well, I'm going to make this world, oops, I didn't see it coming that they were going to mess up, but sees and knows and in the sense of eternity in advance or beyond time has for, forgiven or, or cleaned the slate uh, for, all, for all intents and purposes, and we are forgiven. That's sort of our default position. And the question is, will we take that seriously and live as forgiven people who then forgive others as well? Um, but I get it. that it, Our brains automatically want to make forgiveness a cause and effect thing. You do the wrong thing and forgiveness comes second. Maybe that's not how it is for God. Yeah. And in light of the New Testament and what we know about Jesus and, and the God's plan for Jesus from before time began, that midrash makes a lot of sense. Right, right, right. You know, and saying that, you know, God's looking ahead and he sees that eventually, someday I'm going to have to send my son who's going to die for the sins of the world, and yet I'm still going to create the world. It seems to me, too, that when at least when we're talking about the way God deals with us, I, uh, my, my head wants to keep going to the train of thought Paul has in Romans 5, where he talks about, um, you know, while we were still dead in sin, while we were turned away, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. That The sense isn't, we said we were sorry, then God forgave us because we said we were sorry. But there's always this sort of primacy, even though it turns our usual order of things upside down, of God's awareness of our need, of God's awareness of 
uh, our, our brokenness, our, our sin, and then the God's preemptive forgiveness that then makes it possible even for us to turn. I sometimes even think that means that our usual order of repentance and forgiveness is backwards. We tend to think, if you say you're sorry, then God will forgive you. And maybe it's God saying I forgive you that makes it possible for me to admit what I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot more honestly, that's a lot more really how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's the assurance of I'm not going to get kicked out of the family if I admit what happened. Um, I think in, in a weird way, and maybe this is one of those half-worn thoughts of poke back at me if this sounds like heresy or nonsense, or both. Um, in South Africa, after the end of apartheid, they set up the, what they called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where uh, people were invited to come publicly forward and to admit the things that they had done during the days of apartheid, whatever violence, whatever things they had done. And there was this promise in advance, people who come forward and are willing to say publicly, here's what I did, here's what, there was forgiveness, there's amnesty, there is, okay, you're forgiven, we start over, we're not going to create a new cycle of revenge. Um... And that it was radical because some people wanted there to be violence and there needs to be punishment, and other people were like, "What do you mean you're going to admit all the stuff you did?" But it worked. It maybe it's one of those rare times in human history where something like that worked, but it worked. Um, and there wasn't this horrible, violent uh, uh, transition of power when apartheid ended. It was surprising, but um, that in some ways maybe it's the assurance of forgiveness that makes it possible for us to turn and go, "I messed up. I wasn't able to admit it before, but I can admit it because I know I'm forgiven." Um, uh, and if that's the way it works with us and God, um, then I don't have to worry, uh-oh, have I done a good enough job forgiving, or am I now going to go to hell, not because of my original sin, because I didn't forgive well enough. Um, but maybe that maybe that's all off the table, and now the question is simply, if you get it, you've been forgiven, how do you respond to other people? And maybe with that idea of you know, God's forgiveness coming before we even commit our sin, but then you know, God knowing and forgiving us before we admit to that can help us uh, when others sin against us mm-hmm. in those really hard ways, mm-hmm. um, to be able to say, you know, God's already forgiven them for what they've done to mm-hmm. us. So maybe I can forgive them even before they are willing, if they ever right. apologize for it. But that's the other thing. Sometimes people don't right. apologize for what they've done to us. And I think this is an important moment for us to stop and say, uh, forgiveness is not primarily an emotional thing. Because I, yeah. I, I think sometimes we want to hear it as, oh, forgiveness must mean you're at peace about what they did. And you, No, forgiveness, I think, like many things, we confuse it for an emotional thing. And it's it's a, almost an act of the will. I refuse to weaponize this yes. against you. And so... To, to forgive someone doesn't mean we're reconciled and our best friends now. It means I refuse to keep using this against you or to seek revenge against you for this. So if I've forgiven you, I still might be really, really wounded by this. Because sometimes wounds really take a long time. But it doesn't mean I have to be all healed before I can forgive you. It can be I'm not going to weaponize this against you. And I still need to get healing for the stuff I'm still working through. It also means that reconciliation is different than forgiveness too. That you may wrong me, you may you know, steal all the money out of my wallet, and I may say I forgive you, but we're not best friends again, and I'm not letting you see my wallet for a while. Um, but I, both of those can be true at the same time. And I, again, I think our culture that is so quick to um, emotionalize things, that love is primarily about feeling a warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach as opposed to doing good for the other, that forgiveness is, is a similar kind of a... It's, it's almost an act of the will and then the emotions can follow out of that but not I wait to forgive until I feel like doing it because we'll never feel like doing it (laughs) as somebody who has worked through a a long time of forgiveness for something that's that's happened in my past it's taken me a year and a half to work through this I can tell you forgiveness is not a feeling yeah it is something I've had to work at and uh, you mentioned reconciliation which I think is always something important to bring up and I think when we talked about this um back several series ago, Steve, reconciliation doesn't necessarily always have to happen, or at least not the way that 
um, society makes us feel like, you know, because I've forgiven you, then we have to go back to being best of friends. Or because yeah. I forgive you means that whatever you did is okay. Right. Now, for the Amish, because they forgave the man that killed their children does not mean that what he did was okay. Right. It just means that they're not going to hold that against his, well, now his family, because right. he shot himself that day, too. Right. But, so that doesn't make it okay that their children are now gone. Right. It's just saying that, you know what, it's it's happened, yeah. It's we're going to move on, we're going to deal with it, and we're going to live our lives beyond this. And at the heart, I think, uh, of this teaching is also connected to where the New Testament talks about we don't return evil for evil. That In mm-hmm. a similar way, when someone else does something wrong to you, it doesn't mean that if you forgive them, you're saying that what they did was okay. It's saying, I'm not going to do the same stupid thing back to you that you did to me. Yeah. I'm going to break the cycle. I refuse to use violence to stop the violence mm-hmm. you've you know inflicted upon me. That won't solve it. You'll just be mad, and your kids will now hold a you know a, ven- a vendetta against my kid. You know we're going to break the cycle, and that's a big piece of what's going on here. That forgiveness is, in some sense. Um, uh, a political act. It's a, it's a refusal to let the old order of we solve things by I'll get you because you got me. It's a, it's a refusal to accept those terms. It, it's a lot more radical in that regard. All right, we got a little bit of time for one more if you're willing to go one more time. Shall we? Dare yeah. we? Dare we? Okay, here we go. Come on, what do we got? What All we right. Got? What do we got? And our next hard saying Let him who has a sword, has no sword, buy one. Yep, those are the words on the lips of Jesus. You heard it. Let him who has no sword buy one. You can find it in Luke twenty-two thirty-six. As we're all scrambling to find that, this is a passage that's set uh, in the last moments Jesus has with his followers. Jesus is getting ready, knowing that the arrest in the garden is going to be happening. And he's sort of preparing his disciples for uh, what's about to unfold. Um, so... Uh, it's right after Jesus has predicted Peter's denial, right before he's out on the Mount of Olives, and literally a paragraph or two in your Bible before the uh, betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Someone have it in front of them? The whole paragraph starts at like 35, maybe. 35 through 38. Go for it. Okay, so starting at verse 35. Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, No, not a thing. He said to them, But now, the one who has a purse must take it, and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. And indeed, what is written about me is being fulfilled. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. He replied, It is enough. And the then, gospel of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and then right after that, they go to the Mount of Olives, and that's where the, the betrayal and the arrest scene happens in the garden. So we're like, we are that late is, into the story. Is this the same gospel where Peter cuts off somebody's ear because he's holding a sword? In fact, it is. And uh, that comes, like, like, literally a paragraph later. And when uh, uh, Judas betrays Jesus... Uh, in verse 49 of the same chapter, when those who were around him saw that they were coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with a sword? Then one of them who struck the slave of the high priest cut off his right ear, but Jesus said, no more of this, touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the high priest, have you come out here with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? Now, I think this is a really important thing you've raised. At first, it might seem like it complicates it, but I think this actually gives really important context here about what Jesus is trying to do. Because I... I have heard people say, oh, Jesus must be saying now's the time for us to fight back, when clearly that's not Jesus' intention at all, not in any of this. But I do think Jesus has to... 
in a sense, get himself counted among the lawless. That Jesus knows he ha- there has to be the evidence that he's going to get arrested as one of those troublemaking, violent people. So Jesus is okay with, all right, there's, there needs to be evidence, there needs to be circumstantial evidence that we're a bunch of troublemakers. That I think Jesus knows he's coming to a head with the authorities this way. But at no point is Jesus actually intending, all right, the rules have changed, now we're going to start killing our enemies. Because the moment that opportunity arises, Jesus goes, no, you morons, that was not ever the point here. Um... But it, it is a weird juxtaposition that in verse 32, he's like, now get some swords. And then he says, but don't use those swords. Can I just note how odd that the guy who lost his ear, actually, like he and his friends actually let Jesus get close enough to actually touch his ear to heal it. <laughs> like, you know, if you've just lost your ear by one of these guys' followers, are you going to let the guy get close enough to you to like... <laughs> touch you Mm -hmm. or like you know presumably he's probably in a lot of pain probably doesn't have a whole lot of choice about it but like he has friends are the friends not going to stop this lawless man whose followers have a sword you know like Really, whipping centurions here. It, it, it is a weird scene. I'll grant you that. And, and maybe, in fairness, or at least to be as honest about how complex this is, only Luke gives us that healing story. In John's gospel, we get the ear cut off, and just the servant's name is Malchus, but not that he got healed. <laughs> um, and then one of the other gospels, a guy runs around naked. Yeah. So, like the the details of the scene are kind of sketchy. In other words, depending on who you were talking to, who was there, either people ran away naked or there may or may not have been healings of ears um but it does seem as a consistent thread as the as the gospels make the turn toward jesus knowing and telling his disciples that he's headed for a confrontation with the powerful with the scribes the pharisees and eventually with the the uh the roman leadership as well jesus seems to know this is happening he doesn't run from it in fact he has a sense of like steering toward it and having a sense of he's going to absorb all the violence rather than be one who perpetrates jesus sort of knows from the beginning and about you know it's maybe maybe seven chapters into the gospels where you first get these inklings of people wanting to kill him and jesus then steering into that skid and saying uh he's going to lay down his life and he'll the son of man will be killed in three days rise again the gospels don't give us any sense at all of Jesus trying to run away from this confrontation, but also no sense that he intends to fight back with weaponry either. So that when Jesus says, time for you to get a sword, it seems completely out of character with the whole run of how Jesus speaks in all the Gospels to say that now all of a sudden he's advocating for his followers to pick up weapons to start fighting back with. It seems to me much more likely he's got to look the part, that he knows he's there and that they are looking for someone they can lynch and that if there's swords laying around they can always accuse, oh look, he was one of those troublemakers, look we've got to arrest him, we've got to, that Jesus knows is going to have to come to a head. And that in a sense Jesus is playing the part. Because if he really wanted his disciples to fight back, then two swords would not have been enough. Well, right. And and the flip side, there's that other conversation he has where he says, don't you think if I wanted to fight back, I couldn't call down 10,000 angels and they'd be on my side, right? I mean, so that, but as the gospel presented, it's not that Jesus needs these swords to fight back if that's what, it, if that's what his will would have been. And even the disciples at different points seem to have that sense that they also have that power and authority to call right. down fire from heaven. <laughs> right, right. To smite a town because they didn't welcome them in the manner in which they wanted to be. <laughs> so, you know, even the disciples, in some sense, you know, their first thought isn't, oh yeah, let's grab a sword. It's more like, 
oh yeah, let's call down fire from heaven. Right, okay. right, right. And when in the conversation between Jesus and Pilate in John's gospel, um, and that whole question of where does Jesus get his authority and is he really mm-hmm. a king, and Jesus says, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, that's not how my kingdom works. So it seems to me like the consistent and clear picture throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, any one of them, all of them, are that Jesus doesn't intend for his movement to pick up swords to fight people back when they are attacking them. Um, And that this one moment, even though the words, go get a sword, are on Jesus' lips, he has no intention of all of a sudden changing the rules and having his followers, now we're going to pick up swords and fight back. It's almost intentional, we need to be caught with swords, they need to have reasons to accuse us, we need to look like troublemakers, or I need to be willing to look like a troublemaker, but we're not going to use them because the moment that opportunity arises and they even ask him hey these swords that you told us to have should we use them now he says no we're not going to do that um it it seems either you have to make jesus into the sort of like schizophrenic like uh, one minute he's pro sword and one minute he's anti-sword or that the sword was never intended to be used all along these are always props so to speak so he could to fulfill this role that jesus seems to sense that he's uh meant to have other thoughts on this one we wrap this one up we call this one a closed case Good boy. How about that? Once, once we actually think we've resolved one in a way that we can all live with. Go, go, go team. This one doesn't have to keep anyone up at night anymore. All right. Well, um, we hope that the conversation has been valuable for you. Um, and we hope that at least the exercise of being able to dig through hard sayings of Jesus has been useful. Um, we may come back to other kinds of hard sayings in the future as we go along the way. But I guess maybe as a parting thought, at least on this episode... I hope that for each of us listening in this conversation, that our approach with Scripture isn't ever, um, I have to be afraid, if I don't, if there's something I have a hard time with in Scripture, I'm not allowed to tell anybody because I don't want to get kicked out of the church or something like that, but that part of what faithful Christians do, part of what disciples do, is we wrestle and we talk together. And just because I might not understand something doesn't mean someone else doesn't have a, oh, here, this makes, this helps it make more sense. And even if we don't come to conclusions, it doesn't mean that God is now going to kick us out. If, if anything, God invites and wants that kind of honest kind of relationship um and so we're invited to do wrestling with a text like jacob wrestles with the angel rather than to run away if something is confusing to us or we don't think we like what we hear at first because it might well be that god intends for that kind of engagement to happen too all right gang well uh thanks for joining us we'll talk to you later on thanks see you later bye